G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Lovely to have your company wherever you are around Australia. And uh, Phil here, I'm in the studio and with me this week, not in the studio, in fact, on the opposite side of the country to where I am, Pastor John Finn Kelly. Hello, how are you? Hey, Phil, doing uh, very well, very well. Now I'm making an assumption here that you are at home at your place in Perth. Is that correct? That's right. I'm uh, nicely uh, nicely in my study here on a Tucked beautiful, away. magnificent autumn day. Gorgeous. Yes, oh, I've got to love this time of the year. It's just uh, just fantastic. And Perth is a wonderful place to be any time of the year except when it's 45 degrees. But it's not today. <laughs> we, we have aircon. We yeah. have aircon. We turned it on regularly for months. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Now, uh, for those who, uh, who don't know Pastor John, he's been around in ministry for a very long time, a pastor for 40 years, uh, done lots of things uh, over that time, but these days concentrating his efforts around helping to grow healthy churches and I guess healthy leaders kind of as, as part of that, that whole thing. What's been going on in your world in the last little while, John, since we last spoke? Yeah, probably the the last 12 months I'm back on the road. Um now that the pandemic border restrictions are fully gone. Yep. Um plenty of plenty of flying around Australia. Visited every state in Australia uh, last year and we'll do that again this year. Just helping churches, doing consulting, coaching and uh enjoying also the growth of my four grandsons. I have one grandson about to become a teenager, so that will be a fascinating experience for his mum and dad, but probably a fun experience for me. Uh, but yeah, enjoying the stage of life, Phil. And what do you notice as you go around talking to different people in church contexts, different locations? Well, is there a thread running through all that? Yeah, there, there are. Um, one of the things that really has encouraged me, even inspired me, to be honest, is the resilience amongst church leaders, that church leaders are up for whatever's coming. Um, they've survived the pandemic and they're ready to take their churches into a new era. The resilience is quite inspiring that as Difficult and as horrible as this season has been, there's very much a desire to go. Well, let's let's build mm. the church. Let's work with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus to accomplish the mission of Christ on the planet. Um, that's really encouraged me. At the same time, I'm seeing high levels of tiredness amongst church leaders and members, and really encouraging church leaders to look after themselves, uh, do a lot of soul care, do a lot of breaks, good holidays downtime, um, and also seeing just that challenge of, I think, people got out of the routine, the habit of attending church and also serving in church. So just helping churches um, reboot in some ways both that regular attendance at, at church, but also that, that leaning into serving um, in church as well. And yeah, seeing those sort of common things, pretty well every state that I've been in last year and again this year, Phil. Mm. Good advice also for, um, you know, even if you're not in church leadership, pace yourself, mm. have a break. You know, we can actually, yeah. we can push ourselves sometimes not even realizing that we need that little bit of a, a relaxation. Uh, and, and a good encouragement too, if you're not involved in serving, uh, my wife and I have been challenged ourselves uh, in this in our own church. 
in recent times to actually get in and do some things that you know maybe mm. we wouldn't ordinarily do because if if everybody sat back then we'd have a big problem wouldn't we well, I, I think that's the case with all churches, and I, I look at our church and realise, gee, I, I need to be, I need to be an active member in my church because my grandsons are there now, and they're going into the youth ministry, the children's ministry, and that doesn't happen just by accident. Mm. <laughs> it happens through intentional uh, decisions by people to say, look, I'm going to help out in the youth ministry or the children's ministry, and make sure that the next generation gets well catered for in the cause of Christ. So, yeah, I, I think you do have to make really intentional decisions as a church member to okay, just kind of help help out, uh, lean in and help out. Everyone, everyone, mm-hmm. everyone does everything better, I think, if there's a good team, sort of everyone leaning into it. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. And sad news this week, John, with the passing of Charles Stanley, um, loved, well-known Bible teacher in ministry mm. for 65 years. So you've got a little way to go, young man. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, it, this little quote from Charles Stanley caught me this week uh, of, of something, the motto that has governed his life. Obey God, leave all the consequences to him. That is the statement that has governed my life. have been perfect, of course governed my life all these years. Some big decisions, little decisions. Obey him, leave the consequences to him. You can't lose. It's a great motto. Obey God and mm. leave the consequences to him. And the context of that was uh, it was something his grandfather said to him when he was um, 17 years of age, uh, <laughs> saying, look, if God tells you to go you know, bang your head into a brick wall Trust that he's trust that he's actually going to open a hole up for you before you get there. <laughs> I love that. That's uh, yeah. Look, uh, Charles Stanley is a, he's legendary. Sixty five years. That is. Yeah, I've got a long way to go, Phil, to reach that, <laughs> well, that would, level. Not not sure if I will, but uh, yeah. My wife um, has bumped into him on uh, one of the Christian channels on TV, and has really enjoyed his teaching ministry. And definitely of of his generation, um, his style and his approach, but just a really excellent Bible teacher and a very a very low key Bible teacher as well. You'd never see him ranting and raving or yelling. He yep. was very low key, yep. but his style was great. And w- what a legacy! And also his son Andy Stanley. I mean, the legacy um, as a father. Um, let alone as a pastor, is is quite phenomenal. And to have stayed in ministry that long for that many decades and still stay faithful to the Lord, he definitely has fulfilled his commitment of obeying God and leaving the consequences to him. Yeah. yeah fabulous. I, I think so. He's lived that motto out um, incredibly well and with humility mm. uh, you know, at the center of his life is what I've observed. But it's funny how yeah. these things happen kind of you know, within a short context because we've had a few other of, let's call them God's generals, if you like, who've, uh, who've yeah. gone home uh, in, in just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, George, uh, where were the, um, the leader, the founder of Operation Mobilization? I noticed in the last week or two had passed away as well in his 80s. Um, I remember George uh, spoke in our church. Oh, it'd be... Gee, close to 30 years ago now, and I remember him coming, and he had that very famous... Um, the jacket? Sort of j- the jacket with the world <laughs> map on it. He wore that when he preached. Yep. But what really I remember about George was we had multiple morning meetings in our church in our old, previous old building, and 
During the half an hour break, I said, look, do you just want to go and sit in my office and have a breather in between service? He said, yeah, that'd be great. And sitting up there with a cup of coffee or tea and um, left him to it. When I came back to get him to go into the second service, he was sitting there and he had a whole pack of missions newsletters that he had prayed through. And when he prayed through, he put them into my bin. They were paper newsletters. This is going back into the 90s, so no email. But he had sat there in that 20 minutes, and and I asked him, I said, have you been reading the newsletter? He said, oh, oh, not really. I just look through the prayer requests, and I pray for these various missionaries and missions <laughs> organizations. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, my goodness, you're in another league, George. Here he is. He's got a 20-minute breather between preaching, um, his passion, of course, missions, but there he is praying through newsletters, if you don't mind. He had a whole stack of them. I was surprised, but he just plowed through them during what was meant to be a rest period. Which I, it indicates there's a man on a mission, yeah. a man with deep passion and belief and lived it out in just a magnificent way. I've never forgotten that. Yeah, these guys you know, not only uh, were, have, have made a big impact during their lifetime, but I think it'll actually extend on for many, mm. many years beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the legacy of their ministry and uh, the church, Andy, uh, sorry, Charles Stanley had uh, led, pastored, and George with OM going on now for generations. Uh, the, these men can go to their reward knowing there's a legacy there that has got inbuilt culture and DNA that will will survive over mm. the next generation or two. And there's a challenge for us and an example for us to follow. I think in those mm. uh, those two gentlemen. Sunday morning together. On Vision Christian Radio. Phil's my name, and uh, this morning we get to take communion together, led by Pastor John Finkeldy, who is my guest and co-host. So if you have some elements there, just have them ready. If not, just lean forward, bring your heart, and be part of what we're doing this morning as Pastor John leads us in communion. It's over to you, John. Thanks, Phil. Uh, I want to turn our attention to Matthew 26, verse 36, a little few verses from the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And as Isaiah said, Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted um, with grief, with pain, familiar with pain, one translation says. He was in deep agony on the night before he went to the cross. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Uh, Jesus is in deep sorrow, deep pain, as he contemplates tomorrow, the cross, where he'll lay down his life, shed his blood for the remission of our sins, the removal of our iniquities. And he says to the Father, if you can take this cup, this cup of suffering, the cup of the cross, if you can take it away from me, if it's at all possible, is there another way we can provide for salvation? Uh, But I love this phrase, and I want us to focus in on this today. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Here he says to the Father, I I really am struggling with facing the cross. It's 
the agony of it, the sorrow of it, being separated from the Father in that moment of taking on the sins of the world. However, what I want to do is obey you. What I want to do is fulfill your will. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as the famous prayer of Jesus to his disciples shows us. And we talked before about Charles Stanley having that commitment to obey the Lord regardless and to leave the consequences with the Lord. And I want to encourage us to be people as we come to communion who commit afresh to the will of God, which is very easy to discern in some circumstances. If you're walking past a a neighbor's house and there's a lovely brand new electric scooter out the front that belongs to your neighbor, you've got the opportunity there right there to steal the thing, grab it, run, sell it, make some money. What's the will of God in that matter? Well, it's very easy to discern the will of God in that matter. The Bible says, don't steal. But I think there are times when we've got options that are both godly, that are both good. And I think it's when you've got those options, it can can get difficult. But I think this is a great prayer to pray when you're faced with more than one option to think back to Jesus on the night before he died on the cross. What was his heart? What was his spirit? What was his prayer? And to make that your prayer. And it may be the prayer you need to make at communion afresh today. It's a prayer of consecration. It's a prayer of dedication. It's a prayer of commitment where you say, Lord, not what I want to do with my life, but what do you want to do with my life? Not as I will, not as I choose and decide, but I want to go the way you want me to go. Guide me, direct me into the fullness of your will. And I believe that as you pray that prayer, you can trust your heavenly Father that he will guide you and lead you into his will. So in this communion we have today, as you take the bread, as you hold the cup, if you have those elements there with you, to hold the bread, to hold the cup, and to pray this prayer right now. Lord, not as I will, but as you will. I commit my life afresh to you. If you don't have the elements with you, that's fine. Just go ahead and pray that prayer. Lord, not as I will, but as you will. Let me pray for you as uh, we come to this time of partaking of the elements. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he didn't run away from the cross. He didn't evade your will. He decided to lean in and do exactly what you wanted him to do. And Father, that inspirational example of Jesus is what we're looking at today. And Father, give us the grace to do not what we want to do, but to do your will, to complete your will in all its fullness. Where people today are undecided what your will is, guide them, direct them, lead them, let them hear from you, Father, in Jesus' name. Go ahead now, eat and drink in the name of the Lord. Worship, conversation, prayer and teaching. This is Sunday Morning Together on Vision Christian Radio. Pastor John Finkelly, been a pastor for many, many moons, uh, and these days is actually helping others to grow healthy churches. But there's lots behind the story, and over the course of the next 60 minutes, John, I'm hoping you might be able to reveal a little bit of your story, and in particular, you know, just uh, we've been talking this week about this movie, The Jesus Revolution. I know that's been mm. your story too. There's been a revolution in your mm. life. 
through Jesus Christ. So let's start at the beginning. The young John Finkeldy, when he was born, where did that occur? Yeah, born uh, here in Perth, uh, Subiaco, King Edward Maternity Hospital. Um, my mum and dad, Bill and Bill and Beryl, had met um, met in Perth. Dad was from Adelaide, and uh, they'd they'd moved over here. Dad had moved over here after the war, fought in uh, New Guinea in the war, World mm. War Two, and um, they met and hitched up. And my sister was born first, so I've always got a. Always got an elder—I should call her an elderly sister—an older <laughs> sister who I, I mercilessly teased when I was a child. Uh, well, that's the, that's called, the role of young brothers, isn't it? Oh dear me, she was so bossy. She was um, she was full on as, a, as, a, as an older sister. But you know, we we love each other very much. We get on very well. But um, so yeah, just the two of um, you. Yeah, just two of us, and uh, raised in a non-Christian home. Dad, dad, uh, dad passed away last year, but Dad was a a classic Aussie battler, veteran. loved loved his beer, loved his horses. Um, was a gardener, worked as mainly as a gardener. Worked in the postal office, um, various jobs, and so on. We ended up working at the mail room at the University of WA. But mm. um, yeah, he was just a, a classic Australian of his generation. Retired at sixty. Never did another day's work until he passed at 96. He just loved fishing and crabbing and prawning and following the football and following the horses. Yeah, very simple life. Yeah. Good man. How much do you reckon fighting in the war uh, shaped his outlook? Yeah, I, I think it was massively. He, he he was 18 when he went to war and, and he saw action. Mm, that's um, young. You know. Saw saw some of his friends get killed by friendly fire. He he didn't tell many stories, but occasionally he would leak out a story, or he would tell a mum a story, and she would then pass on to us. When we were adults, we'd kind of wanted to know more. But it was a bit of a no go ground with Dad that he didn't really want to delve into his experiences. But you found out enough to realise it was traumatic mm. the experiences that he had to watch some of your friends die from that friendly fire. Um, as one thing, but also then to be involved in in wartime action with not getting killed and then killing others, I just left a huge mark on his life. He had a he had a challenging childhood as well. One of the reasons I think he jumped into the army as soon as he could was that he had a very difficult childhood, and those I think those two combined to really shape him um, into a man who was. Um, in his earlier years, quite bitter and quite angry, but um, I think married life helped heal that. And also definitely having grandchildren brought a real healing into his life as well mm. um, and helped kind of just just calm some of that anger that had come from his early days, um, yeah. both at war and in his childhood. You mentioned you know, it wasn't a Christian home that you grew up in. W- mm. Was there any, any sense of connection to church whatsoever? Because culturally, a very different time to today, it, mm. it was yeah. kind of the accepted norm uh, to, yeah. to have a, the stamp at the very least that I'm Anglican or you know, yeah. Methodist or whatever. Yep. Yeah, we, we were Church of England but never went. <laughs> Just completely, not even at Christmas or Easter, just never darkened the door of the church. I do remember the only church involvement I had um, up until probably 17, 18 was I remember going to a Methodist youth group at a fancy dress party as a pirate. That's all I remember, okay. and having a having a cardboard parrot on my shoulder. <laughs> I have vivid memories of that night. But don't know if I went before that event or after that event. Never heard the gospel. Um, heard scripture at school, but found that very boring. 
um, very distant, very, very didn't make much sense to me. I, I couldn't make head or tail mm-hmm. of it. In fact, the only time I got the cane in high school was for mucking up in a religious education class. Um, the deputy principal caught me mucking up at the back of the class and took me out and got the cane on the hand, one cane on the hand for that one, which is quite ironic seeing where I ended up in life. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, no connection at all with church, okay. not a... Not an awareness of friends who went to church either. Um, I do remember in high school there'd been a, a a young guy who was a Baptist, but he was he was very nerdy. He was really the opposite sort of personality to me and my friends. And so for me, he wasn't a great. <laughs> it wasn't great marketing for the church. <laughs> it was too nerdy. It was too like too straight, too something or whatever. And we're trying to be the cool kids, so it didn't work for us. But definitely around fifteen, sixteen at school, I just uh, desperately searching. Yeah, could feel a deep spiritual hunger in me. And I think if thankfully I, that's why I love chaplains in schools today. Because if we'd had a chaplain in our school, I, I think I would have come to Christ at fifteen. Yeah, um, because I was. Desperately looking, tried all sorts of things, but um, well, I'm very curious to hear, hear this story. You know, especially f- mm. from how you moved from being a kid who was bored with hearing scripture and yeah. uh, and looked at yeah. uh, you know others in the church as being nerdy, <laughs> and yet yep. here you are today. You've been a pastor for 40 years, so yeah. uh, there's there's a good story to be heard, and we'll get to that in just a few moments. <laughs> This is Sunday Morning Together, and my guest today is Pastor John Finkeldy. Sunday Morning Together, across Australia, on Vision Christian Radio. Do you have any musical bones in your body, by the way, John? Yeah, yeah. Played, um, learned guitar when I was about 14, okay. acoustic guitar. And, uh, Never been yeah, in was... a band? Um... <laughs> and I guess if you were, what would you call it? Well, well, we we did have a band in church, and we called it the Dried Out Riverbed Band. <laughs> Righto. <laughs> so okay. that gives you an idea how bad we were. Well, you could go and play in Alice Springs because the Todd doesn't flow <laughs> terribly often. So <laughs> I can get a gig up in the Pilbara here in the northwest of the <laughs> state. But uh, yeah, no, just um, yeah, love music. Been into music all my life. Music's wonderful. Now you've you've been into lots of things all your life. You've been a pastor for forty years, and if you've just mm. joined us, uh, John was just outlining. Some of his early years grew up in a, a, a home that really had no real Christian uh, influence at all. Uh, and was uh, thought that uh, scripture was pretty boring, uh, <laughs> but yet in your teens you were searching. What were you searching yeah. for? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, question, isn't it? I, I definitely for peace. I I could not get any mental, I guess, emotional health word phrases we used back in the day, um, but I couldn't get any inner peace. I just didn't. I was restless. I just knew life was more than just getting married, having a mortgage, have kids, you know, retire, die, sort of thing. That that terrified me. That I didn't terrify me as much as just bored me spitless. That sounds a terrible way to live. So mm. I was after a bigger purpose in life. So dabbled in a lot of um, psychic things, seances, Buddhism, Hinduism, transcendental meditation. Wow, really a product of that late sixties, early seventies sort of hippie thing of just trying. I didn't, never tried drugs, thankfully. Um, a lot of my friends did, which I don't think helped them in any way, but. I was trying all sorts of things just to get that inner peace and probably a sense of meaning. Why am I here? Yeah. Many long into the night discussions with my 15, 16 year old friends of what on earth are we on the planet for? There's got to be a reason Mm. um, beyond just day to day life. So, where did, I guess, 
Christianity or religion sit in that mix because, you know, you were searching, mm. as you say, in all sorts of different things. Um, yeah. You know, in, I, in those was, conversations, where, where did that land? Yeah. Well, stridently anti-Christian. Right. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, um, but I, I was stridently anti-Christian. Definitely didn't want anything to do with Christianity. Um, and then some of my friends started to come to Christ, and I would have huge arguments with them because I saw Christianity. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I saw that as very narrow-minded, very bigoted, and uh, just tried to destroy Christians with my arguments of right. how narrow can you be. Um, but, yeah, I started to go to a, a church or two here in Perth. Nothing really twigged for me. Nothing really rang a bell. And just kept arguing, but more of my Christian friends started to come to Christ. So it kind of got, uh, we ended up having a bit of a war in some ways, and then eventually decided, look, let's just stop stop the arguments. Let's just see if where we can go. And um, <laughs> you know, but but it, it's interesting. Probably for about twelve months, I wrestled with the whole concept of of Christianity and becoming a Christian and what it meant. Mm. Um, then watching you know, one of my really good friends who come to Christ, he, he didn't really give up his old lifestyle, so I kind of found that confusing. I thought, gee, if you found God, you really should change. You, your whole life should turn upside down. That was my, you know, I was fairly full on about anything. If I was into something, I was into it. If yeah, I wasn't, all I wasn't. or nothing. So, yeah, absolutely, all or nothing. Um, and when I saw that, that confused me again. If you've really found the truth, why aren't you living totally for that truth? But he, he was just on his own journey, which is fair enough. But back in those days, it was black and white for me. Mm. And, and what do you reckon before that time you would have described what it means to be a Christian? You know, when you were uh, against and, and mm. trying to destroy, as you said, as mm. opposed to what you understand it to be now or after that point? Look, I definitely would have understood it as, as being a good person. Yeah. And living with with um, a belief in God and in Jesus, however that whatever that looks like, but generally being a really good person, living living in a godly manner, which I I was kind of keen to do because all my search was for God and for a godly connection. So that was my definitely my thinking of what a Christian would be. Now I look at Christianity as completely relational. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with the people of Jesus, the church. Um, I see it as totally relational. And out of that relationship of, of deep acceptance and love that I find with Jesus, then I do live a good life. Mm. I live a godly life. But it, you know, I definitely, in my thinking as a teenager, had it back to front. I didn't even know about the relationship side, to be honest. Yeah, That's so the relationship that then me. leads to the good life, not... Yeah. Pursuing a good yeah. life that, that leads to some good outcome. Absolutely. Because yeah. I, I tried to be a good person, what I thought was a good person, and failed miserably in so many ways. It was terrible. Yeah. So to me, you know, I was thinking, gee, Christian, they must have some superpower or something to be able to do that. And I, I didn't realize until as I get closer to becoming a Christian that really it's out of the relationship with Jesus that you live a godly life. Sunday morning together together. across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. John, was there a moment where you had that aha awakening? Because you've talked about this kind of shift from this being a searching, almost discounting Christianity, but then coming to a point where you were exposed to a bit of church and now you're, you're a pastor. So 
was there, you know, a, a point in time where it was it was just this aha, you came forward at a meeting or so, or something happened? Yeah, probably probably over about a I would say a five or six week period when I I was nineteen, not long nineteen, and I'd broken up with a girlfriend and my life just felt completely stale and stalled. I didn't know what to do, so I thought um, I've had enough of Perth. I'm going to go to New, New Zealand, see if I can find some peace and godliness there or whatever. And so set out, hitchhiked to Melbourne, um, got on a plane, flew wow. to New Zealand. Didn't know a soul at all, but uh, got myself a little motorbike, had a kind of two-man tent. Um, thought I'll just mosey my way around New Zealand and see what I find and bump into. And within, within uh, I'd say, six or seven days, I'd met a Christian in quite remarkable circumstances, mm. this, this guy. And he invited me to church. Um, it was quite a remarkable connection we made, and he invited me to church. And it was interesting. I decided, and this is, I think, where I was at in my life. I thought, I've got to do something radical to shift where I am. I feel stalled. So when I was hitchhiking Perth to Melbourne, took me a couple of weeks, I decided that when I got to New Zealand, I was going to do one of two things spiritually. I was either going to become a Christian full on, or I was going to join the Hare Krishna movement. Right. Who were huge back in the early 70s. Yeah. Big, big, big deal um, amongst that whole Jesus revolution time, if you like, of the early 70s. And, and I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So when I got to um, Auckland, the first um, spiritual person, if you like, that I met was a Christian who was going to Bible college in, uh, in South Auckland. Invited me to church. I went along to church. It was a little, very small Pentecostal church. Um, they had all sorts of prophecies going on, tongues interpretation. It was quite, it was quite a full-on spiritual different service I'd never experienced before. But I loved it because it was so different and it was out there. It was radical. And I went back the next night to a prayer meeting. The pastor preached during the prayer meeting and um, he gave a call and said, who here tonight wants to give their life completely and utterly to Jesus? And I knew Now's mm, my time. That's me. This is it. This is what I've come to New Zealand for. So I threw my hand up in the air. He invited me out to the front of the church. And then I don't know why, but he took me out of the main church, small auditorium, took me out to the church kitchen. Don't know why. I did look very different. I was a hippie. <laughs> um, he got me out in the kitchen and he, he said, John, do you want to believe in Jesus? I said, yep, I'm ready. I'm, I'm in. Boots and all. I, I, I'm I'm absolutely ready to be sold out. And mm. he said, well, pray this prayer. And he led me in a very simple prayer of me just saying, Jesus, forgive me. I've messed up. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. And at that moment, I had a an experience of literally feeling a burden of sin go off me. It wasn't just a, a mental ascent. Mm. It was a spiritual experience of feeling, and I felt like something literally went off me like a burden of sin, and I felt clean, I felt forgiven. Um, I mean, to me, that night, 26th of February, 1973, 8.45 p.m., it's, <laughs> it's seared into my brain yeah. because the miracle of feeling forgiven for your sins, because I knew I'd done some not good stuff, but to feel forgiven in an instant was just mind-blowing, remarkable, and... Um, the fact is I really didn't know anyone else in New Zealand except this this guy had introduced me to church. I'd only been in New Zealand two weeks mm. uh, for that night, before that night. And so I threw myself at 
every time the church doors opened, I went, made some great friends there, um, ended up working with one of the guys who was in the church at the Ford Motor Factory and just threw myself into absolutely learning everything I could about the Bible, about Jesus, about how to how to live in church life, how to walk with the Lord and end up going to Bible college a few months later um, and complete and utter radical transformation of my lifestyle. Yeah. In what way? So if you looked at before and after, what was different? Definitely the inner world of peace. Before I could never get – there was always a something itchy, something I need to scratch inside me of – feeling deep rest in my soul. It's hard to describe really, but just feeling unease in my soul. Physically, no problem. And mentally, not really many problems. A few a bit of depression here and there, but but just some levels of unease is what I'd call it. Mm. And that, that, that evaporated completely. Um, morally, I wasn't a moral young teenager in terms of sexual morality. wasn't moral at all. That completely switched, and I kept myself morally pure for the next five years, um, then married. Still say morally pure, but <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I think that was a radical transformation of my life. I, My relationship with my parents, especially my dad, had really blown up badly, and I went home after a year of New Zealand and healed that relationship and lived with mum and dad until I got married because uh, I'd already left home at 18. Um so I think those three things internally and then in relationships and in the sexuality area of my life, things radically changed. And, you know, not, not to mention the fact that I now love the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> what did your parents think about that? They, they were, I think, I think they were blown away. Uh, my sister came to New Zealand a year later and gave her life to Christ. I led her to Christ. So both my sister and I came to Christ, like mum and dad, think there's something going on in New Zealand. But um, they, were, they were really happy because they, they knew I wasn't in a cult. Um, I went to a church in Perth from there. They were happy with the friends I'd made, the Christian friends I connected with back in Perth. They were, they were happy that I was a lot happier. I was a lot more peaceful. I was way easier to live with. Mm. I wasn't the obstropolis teenager that they had known and the angry, bitter towards them teenager for no good reason, to be honest. Um, yeah, my attitude towards them changed. They, they loved it. And they're still, you know, my mum just said to my wife today, you know, very happy with how John's lived his life and everything. Um, there you go, conversation from the, from this morning. So I think, um, yeah, it's the, the impact on them has been John – Loved how you've lived your life. Love what you've done. Um, Dad passed last year, not a believer. Mum's still not a believer in her mid-90s. But anyway, we keep praying. But um, but yeah, I, I think radical change, definitive change, Phil, that you could measure. Yeah. That you could look and say, that's different. It wasn't just ethereal, you know, gee, things look a bit different or feel different. No, though, there's, there's things that I used to do that I wouldn't do. There are things I wasn't doing that I would start doing. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. You mentioned that you went off to Bible college. That was, I guess, the start of your journey toward becoming what you're doing today as as a pastor. Have you been doing for the last forty years? Yeah, yeah, it was Phil. I, I decided once I became a Christian, I didn't have any clue what a pastor was or whatever. I I thought after I became a Christian, okay, I really want to go full on, so I should become a missionary. That was my understanding is that full-on Christians basically uh, became missionaries. So I thought, oh, 
I tried to go to a Bible college here in Perth, wrote back to Perth, couldn't get any doors opening, so I uh, went to a, a small um, live-in intensive Bible college for four months in Tauranga in New Zealand, a Bible college called Faith Bible College, and this is back in the day before there was all sorts of certificates and diplomas and compliance and everything. It was a just a, a an intensive Christian living Bible college, I right. would call it, discipleship, if you like. And w- that was that, with a view to becoming a missionary? You had your eyes on Africa or something? Uh, yeah, or? yeah. I thought, I'm going to get some training. I'll, you know, I was very naive. I'm 19. I don't have a clue. I'm stupid, really. I don't know what I'm doing. So I kind of thought, yep, I'll go and do this, then I'll become a missionary. That's what you do. Um, I kind of realized over the course of that first year of following Christ and going to Bible college that, you know, there are other options besides being a missionary that you can be a pastor. And mm. that really sowed the seed in my life. One of my, uh, the dean of our college said to me, look, I think there might be a call on your life for, for ministry. And that really awakened within me the possibility of becoming a pastor one day. But you know, I turned 20 while I was in college. I was still very young, mm. green, didn't know the Bible really in any way, shape or form to any depth. Um, but yeah, the seed was definitely sown in that first year of following Christ of to becoming a pastor would be a really good way to serve the Lord. Mm. And do you remember those first days when you did become a pastor? Like how, how many years had transpired mm. and, and were you shaken in your boots? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I was a youth pastor first in our church, um, was a youth pastor for a number of years. And yeah, totally. I, I was absolutely thrilled. I, I was probably about 28 at the time, so about nine years had passed since I'd come to Christ. And so I'd kind of more matured. I'd grown up, married, um, probably had both of our children by then, so I'd become mm. a father. And then the opportunity to become a pastor, a youth pastor on their team at our church was given to me, a huge privilege. And um, I remember back a long time ago now, four decades ago now, just those first year or two of wanting to do my best, striving to do my best, um, happy to please my senior pastor, wanting to build a great youth group and all those things. But at the same time, terrified and thrilled absolutely thrilled i just um pastoring to me was being one of the greatest joys of my life in terms of in terms of ministry of work if you like um i thoroughly enjoyed all the years that i passed and the various roles that i did it was and at times terrifying and horrible and difficult and challenging but overall um if you ask would i do it again absolutely yeah no problem. i mean terrified and thrilled is not a bad place to be uh in, in many <laughs> many things but I wonder if you've ever found yourself in the surf like that, because if I understand you, are, you're, yeah. you're a bit of a prolific waxhead. <laughs> yeah, probably just the body surfing these days. But yeah, um, yeah and, I, and I do avoid days when the waves are looking big. I just don't won't, won't crash around, won't trust myself in those waves anymore. But you're right; you can get caught in surf here down where I live, Scarborough Beach. Um, it's pretty rough out there some days. You get caught out there some days and you think, oh, my goodness, um, I need to stop doing this. Yes, you know your limits. <laughs> yep, uh, well, totally. it's been wonderful to hear your story again this morning, John, and there's lots more things I guess we could talk about this morning because you have you know, been in, in ministry for 40 years now, uh, 30 years as a pastor, and the last 10 years or so with Grow a Healthy Church and as I understand, mm. again, you've been uh, consulting you know, churches all around the world, probably over 100 mm. uh, that you've yep. uh, you know, spoken into the lives of there to help them to grow and, and all of that. So good on you for what you're doing today. It, it, was there a, what was the process that you went through as you got to that point of transitioning you know, mm. from, from 
pastoring for a long time, 30 years, and you know, leading C3 Church there in Perth for, for that long period of time into mm. what you're doing today. How did you get to that point of it's time for a new season? My wife and I always had this agreement um, during our pastoring years that if we ever came to the place where both of us felt like our time was up, that that would be a strong indicator that we're right. And I would more often than her say to her, look, I think I'm cooked. I don't know if I can keep going. It's Mm. too discouraging or something at the moment. And she would say, well, I'm not ready yet. And that was the end of the conversation pretty well because we had this rock-solid agreement <laughs> that unless we were utterly both of us – and there were times, you know, we're very – each one of us where health played a role of, do look, is this doing us more damage than good? Should we get out? Yeah. And we, we persevered through all that. And then I, I remember a couple of years before we handed over saying to Di, I, I think – I think one, I'm young enough to do something else, which I'd like to do in the terms of training, coaching sphere of churches. Um, I'm young enough to do it. I've got enough energy to do it. And I feel like our church is really in a solid place. We're handing it over now would be ideal for the church and Mm. for us and for the next gen leader. And to my surprise, she said, I think you're absolutely right. Mm. And then I thought, uh-oh, I <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is real. And um, so we did a did a huge long journey. I'm a very um, – I'm super cautious when it comes to handling sheep that I think you have to handle a flock very carefully and very safely. And, you know, Jesus, I think, takes note of how we handle the sheep of our church, the congregation under our care and – so we did a hugely long process, very thorough, very challenging at times, but a good process. That has been super successful for our church. We've been out doing what we're doing for 11 years. We're still members of our church. We play no active role in that sense of any authority or power or whatever. Um, too busy doing other stuff, to be honest, as well. And But it's also good for us just to be sitting. Like, yeah. Not in the front row doing stuff. It's just a, our role is to be grandparents in the church, just hand out lollies and clap. That's all we've got to do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, um, like, sounds like a good thing. Yeah, it has been great, great phrase. But, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's interesting as a pastor, I think finding unity with your spouse is crucial for fruitfulness in ministry. Mm. It's an absolute key. Worship, conversation, prayer and teaching. This is Sunday Morning Together. On Vision Christian Radio. Pastor John Finkeldy, uh, who's a dyed-in-the-wool Western Australian. Uh, born there, and uh, you're going to be there for a little while yet, John? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Not moving anywhere. Grandsons are here. Yeah, that's the place <laughs> to be. All right. Well, I'm going to hand it over to you right now for the best five-minute message we will hear this morning. So just uh, time to sit back and get ready to receive something good from Pastor John Finkeldy. It's over to you. Thanks, Phil. Um, wherever you're listening to me today, whether you're in the car, in the gym, uh, whether you're sitting at home, whatever you're doing, what I want you to do right now is think of your biggest problem. What's the biggest challenge in your world? Is it a relational challenge? Is it a business deal you're trying to pull off? Is it a financial pressure? Is, is it a, a work scenario? What is it? What's your biggest problem? Is it an attitude that you've got that you just can't seem to shift that inner turmoil that's going on inside you? All right, hold that problem, hold that problem right in front of you while we look at someone else who had a serious problem and what they did about it. And I'm going to give you something you can do about that problem that will help resolve the problem for you. I'm reading from Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. 
In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had dreams. His mind was troubled. He couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. So these guys have got a serious problem. I don't know if your problem is big as this, but here's a Middle Eastern king wanting to slice and dice them and bulldoze their houses. If they can tell him the dream and interpret it, they'll escape that punishment. There's a lot of to and fro in the story. They say, King, no one can do this. He says, yes, you will do this. And they get the king so upset that when you jump down to verse 12, it says this made the king serious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now, that's a pretty dumb decision if you want the wise men of Babylon to actually understand your dream, get your dream and interpret it. But he's just in a rage. And so he says, kill them all. Verse 14, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact, and he said to the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch explained the whole scenario to Daniel, and Daniel then went to see the king and said, give us 24 hours, my paraphrase. Go on, king, give us 24 hours. I'll sort this out for you. Then I love what Daniel did, and here is the solution, I think, to your problem. Verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He said, look, guys, we're under the threat of execution. We're under the threat of death. If we cannot find out what the dream is the king had and what the interpretation is. Now, I want you to think about your problem. Is your problem bigger than Daniel's problem? I would suggest it's not. Unless you're facing a, <laughs> a hit squad from a Middle East king, uh, your problem pales into insignificance. Your problem is big to you. I understand that. If it's a financial burden, if it's a business you're trying to get off the ground, if it's a relationship you're trying to heal, it's a significant and serious problem. However, it's not as big as this problem. And I want you to see what Daniel did with his problem. And I want to urge you, encourage you today, I want to exhort you, good old biblical word, exhort you, to actually put into action what Daniel did, because I think your solution could be in this answer. Verse 18, he urged his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So my question for you today is, Who's praying for your problem? Your problem that you're feeling the burden of, the weight of. You might be driving along in your car right now and you're thinking, my goodness, that, that teenage child of mine is giving me heartburn. I can't sleep properly at night. It may be at the gym working out and you're listening on your AirPods and you're thinking about your business. You're trying to get into a place of prosperity. I don't know what your problem is, but I want to ask you, who's praying for your problem? Have you gone to a friend and said, you know what? I've got a big problem. Can you please pray for it? Have you decided to take on that place of humility and say, please pray for my problem? 
Because the great thing is, is that as Daniel went to his friends, he didn't try to handle the problem by himself. He actually went to his friends and said, I want you to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Didn't take it all on himself. And often in our independence, our desire to just muddle through, we live with our problem. We don't get people praying for it. Trust me, problems can be solved by people praying for it. And the answer comes through during the night. The mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel prays the God of heaven and the story goes on where he tells the king of the magnificent dream of the, the huge statue and the different meanings it had for the generations to come and the, the interpretation, one of the best prophecies actually of the Old Testament. You know, I had a problem once when I uh, finished preaching in our church. I'd step back, our worship team would lead in a song and in the moments after preaching for about 30 seconds, I had a little voice in my head saying, that wasn't a really good sermon. You didn't preach that well. I don't think that really worked. Went on for about 30 seconds, deflated me, and then I'd forget about it for a week until next week the same thing had happened again. I eventually got so fed up with it, I went to people who pray for us. We have a prayer team and have had for 20 years. And I said to them, I- I've got to tell you something that's a bit embarrassing. I've put up with this problem for so long, but I told them what happened to me, and I said, could you guys pray about this? I just feel like it's not healthy, it's not good. I don't know, I can't seem to solve it. Well, they went to prayer. Next Sunday, the very next Sunday, I get to church, I preach, I step back, the worship song starts, and I realize about a minute or two into the song, not one negative thought, not one thought downgrading what I'd done, and never suffered with it again many years later. You know, your friends can be praying for your problem and help you solve that problem. Why don't you call someone today and say, hey, I've got a thing I'm battling with. Can you please pray for it? Why don't I pray for you as I finish this, the best five-minute sermon you'll hear today. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm praying for everyone who, who's carrying a situation that is burdening them, that is harassing them. I'm asking, Lord, today that they would have the humility to pick up the phone, to text or call a friend and say, I'm facing this dilemma. Could you please pray for me this week? I really need an answer to this challenge. Father, I pray help people pick up the phone and act on this short message today of the power of our prayers, friends, to change a situation. Amen. Sunday morning together across Australia. On Vision Christian Radio. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor John. I think he passed the test of the best five-minute message that we'll, we'll hear today. So uh, that was good. Always good things to learn out of the book of Daniel. That's a phenomenal book. I, I love it, actually, especially the first half, full of stories. Yeah. Um, this week, talk about stories. There's a big story in the Australian calendar this week, and that's uh, Anzac Day coming up on Tuesday. You mentioned before when we are learning a bit about your story that you, your mm. dad... Uh, served in the war, and uh, you know, does Anzac, Anzac Day hold a special place in, in your heart and in your family? Yeah, it, it does in a, in a sense. I, I think the way the nation handles it now is, is just right. Um, my dad never went to any Anzac Day marches in his life. Um, once the war was done, he, he was done with war mm. and all that was associated with it, to be honest well, with you. probably him. wanted to forget about it. I, I think that was primarily it. He didn't join the RSL. Um, you know, the RSL eventually helped him with some benefits from some of the, the injuries he got from the war. But um, I think for me, the, the tone that our nation has now with Anzac Day is really good because I think it's a tone of 
commemoration. It's not a celebration of war. Mm. No one's going to celebrate war. He's got, I think, all their brains intact. Dear me, it's a horrible thing. I think there's a tone in our nation of, of sober reflection on the cost, the sacrifice, the commitment that men and women the price they pay um, mm. for us to defend ourselves as a nation. And it's, I think it's a healthy reflection of our history as well mm-hmm. that I, I think it's important to do, important to stop. And I do actually love the fact that it's become prominent, that it's not a just another day, another holiday. I love the fact that the sporting codes have embraced it and there is a, that commemorative soberness, reflection, appreciation. I mean... The American culture is very much thank you for your service, very honouring to military in, in, in an overt way that it's not our culture, but I think for us to take time as a nation is really important. Mm. Even though I don't think there's many people in our nation who says let's go to war all the time because this is what we want to do, but I think to reflect on it is powerful. Yeah, I well, enjoy the day. There's definitely that, that sense of understanding of the sacrifice that these men and women made Yeah, uh, you know, for our behalf and – it always amazes me at Anzac Day how how uh, Christian it is. If you go to an Anzac service, you know yeah. the, the quoting of scripture, yeah, uh, and uh, even if they're not saying chapter and verse, you know, you you uh, go to an Anzac Day service and you'll hear that scripture quoted of yep. now no yeah. greater love than the man lay down his life for his friends. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah, it, it's, it's almost a- at odds with the rest of our of our, our our culture today in that yeah. respect. I, I do I do like it. I, my my mum's dad, my pop, he's the only grandfather I really knew, um, fought in World War One and migrated out to Perth um, a few years after the World War One. But again, he was someone who never talked about the war. But so for me, there is a, a good family connection mm. that allows me to go. Yep, please, no more wars. Happy mm. for the day when there are no more wars. But we do appreciate. Mm. Deeply appreciate the sacrifice of so many. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. We're nearly at the end of our time together. My guest and co-host today has been Pastor John Finkeldy, and thank you so much for making some time available once again, John, to be part of what we're doing together. Always love being on uh, Vision Radio, Phil. Always a joy to be with you. Well, it it goes both ways. Now, I wonder if you could uh, lead us in a prayer as we close today. I'd like to close off our time together by praying for our nation. And it's a pretty big year, actually, for our nation uh, as we work toward the referendum later on this year around mm. the voice. So uh, there's lots of change that's going on in our society, lots of challenges and, and different things and good stuff going on as well. So perhaps if you could lead us. Father, we thank you for Australia. What a great place to live. What a great place to have our lives. And uh, Father, we pray for our Prime Minister and for all our members of Parliament, both federal and state and their premiers, that you would guide them and lead them with godly wisdom, Lord, that they would have insight into how to lead our nation into being a safe, secure, stable and prosperous nation. Father, I pray for the referendum that's coming up later this year, that you would guide also our nation as it votes on this very important matter, that you would guide and that the result would be in your hands, Lord, as we vote on that. And Father, I just thank you for the goodness of living in Australia, and I pray that as we celebrate and commemorate Anzac Day this Tuesday, Lord, that there will be that recognition afresh of just the bountiful goodness of God that we live in Australia. Lord, I pray for our nation as we reflect on the sacrifice of many men and women, their commitment of...
decades and centuries of our nation, Lord, that there will be deep gratitude arising across uh, our hearts. And I pray right across the nation there would be less complaining, less grumbling, and more thankfulness uh, Mm. this week, Father, as we go about our day-to-day. Thank you for today. Thank you for blessing us with this great nation. Amen. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you once again, John, for uh, being part of Sunday Morning Together. And uh, I guess if anyone wants to connect with you, the best place is your Grow a Healthy Church website. Yeah, growahealthychurch.com or just Google Grow a Healthy Church, you'll find me in number one spot, page one. Oh, there you go. That's the place to be. <laughs> growahealthychurch.com if you want to connect at all with uh, John Finkeldy, particularly if, you know, if you're uh, in a church ministry or you think, you know what, we'd love to have a healthy church, maybe John can help you to do that. Uh, and he's working with lots of people around the world. So God bless you, mate, and uh, and your children and your grandchildren. Uh, it's, it's that <laughs> blessing coming back again. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I, I will be enjoying the grandchildren over the next few days and our children. i got my wife's special birthday tomorrow, so uh, oh. plenty of celebration going on. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I hope that all goes uh, swimmingly well, and I hope the rest of your Sunday goes well too, wherever you are around Australia. Thank you for being part of Sunday Morning Together. Have a wonderful day. I'll catch you again next week on Vision. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.